is if you're going to build a toaster, though, the Zooks one, I feel, is best of breed. If you got to build a toaster, it's goofy. It's funny. And at least the Zooks thing's got some character. And I, and I admire that. Like you could see there are humans involved in that. And mm-hmm. I like that. Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the communications director for Partners for Automated Vehicle Education and the author of Ludicrous, the unvarnished story of Tesla Motors. And I'm Kirsten Korosek, senior transportation reporter with TechCrunch. I'm Alex Roy, the um, co-host of the No Parking Podcast and the founder of the Human Driving Association. And? (laughs) And occasionally for Argo AI, but I do not represent them ever on this show. Ever. Well, um, this is sort of our kind of a look back episode. And uh, for our listeners, we're going to take a couple of weeks off to close out the year. And we're going to be back with a bang. And we're going to be doing some really fun stuff um, in January, including some interviews with some folks who have had really big 2020s. And uh, we'll look ahead a little bit at what they expect to happen in 2021. But for the purposes of this episode, we kind of want to talk about some of the big stories that happened for the year. Um, you know, big changes actually in some of our lives, of course, as well. And um, Inclu- including I, including the one that uh, is is you know not allowing us to have our usual uh, CES party this year, which is why we are <laughs> going to be sort of doing our best to replicate it uh, online, as Kirsten just alluded to with right, right, big interviews. And- yeah, we're going to have big interviews in January, and then we're going to have a bit of a live, or at least that's the plan, um, kind of on a live anti-CES virtual show um, in early January. So keep your eyes out on Twitter for that. But we should talk about 2020 first before we start talking about 2021. What happened in 2020? Let's see. Nothing happened. It wasn't. For, it was not a very eventful year. I mean, I'm trying to, can't seem to wrap my head around it. Yeah, I mean, there's this pandemic thing that happened, um, and a lot of companies died, and there was some consolidation and some massive sell-offs, uh, all sorts of fun stuff. So I think we're I think we're saving um, like specifically looking at our predictions. We did a predictions episode last January, and I think we're going to be sort of revisiting those during our, our live sort of party replacement event. Um, so we're not going to do too much, but Alex, you know, predicted uh, consolidation, and and it's certainly happening, and in fact. Um, and maybe, you know, this is where we should start here is, is that there was huge consolidation, probably the biggest consolidation of the year um, and uh, possibly the biggest sort of business AV story of the year, which was broken initially by our very own Kirsten Korosek, um and became official uh, just the other day. And uh, that is Aurora Innovations buying uh, Uber's ATG, um, marking the end of Uber's uh, interesting, tragic. I don't know. We can discuss the, <laughs> the adjectives uh, uh, for autonomous vehicles. So that's that's a huge story. Um, yeah. So it, Uber's tainted. Yeah. Uber's tra- Uber's tainted path on self driving. So you know, Uber got into officially kicked off its self driving campaign, I suppose, in 2015. So it's been five tumultuous, expensive years. And pretty much it was a problem from the very beginning. Um, They got criticized for basically poaching every single 
important and valuable researcher with at CMU because they kicked off their efforts around um, autonomous or automated vehicle technology with um, Carnegie Mellon. And, uh, and they placed an people. order for 100,000 Mercedes-Benz S-Classes. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Didn't you break that totally. story too, Kirsten? Uh, I don't, I don't know if I, I think that was more of an announcement. I don't think mm-hmm. I, that wasn't a scoop, but they, it went on from there. Then they bought auto, um, which was Anthony Lewandowski, Don Burnett and, um, Claire Delany's, um, company that then almost went immediately into arbitration because of Waymo. And then Waymo filed a lawsuit against Uber for stealing trade secrets, which was settled. Uh, in the meantime, Anthony Lewandowski was fired. And then as the company seemed to be kind of putting that in the rearview mirror, there was the first fatal uh, crash involving a self-driving vehicle, which was one of theirs in Tempe, resulting in the death of a pedestrian, Elaine Hertzberg. And from there, there was still work being done, but Uber ATG pretty much went quiet. And the big change happened really last spring. Um, they brought in another billion dollars of investment from Toyota, SoftBank, and others. And Uber ATG officially became a subsidiary of Uber. And that was like the first indication really that under new leadership, uh, the aim towards profitability for Uber, the parent company, was becoming more and more important. It was right ahead of the IPO. Dara um, Kashwahari really just wanted to and continues want to, to get the core business back. And that was, to me, the beginning of the end for Uber ATG. And at that moment, it was valued at $7.25 billion. Fast forward a year and a half, and Uber essentially gave Uber ATG to Aurora plus $400 million in exchange for a 26% stake and now in the newly combined company, which is reportedly valued at $10 billion. Well, let's, let's be clear. It's, it's a, Uber has a 26% stake, Correct. but Uber and its investors and employees collectively now have a 40% stake in Aurora. That's if every single employee on, it's on a fully diluted basis. So, so I think it's important to like understand how that might shake out. There are 1,200 employees at Uber ATG. And by the way, there were 600 at Aurora. To give you a sense of that, I mean, Aurora, you have a 600-employee company essentially swallowing a 1,200-person operation, double the size, right? And to put into perspective, prior to this, Uber had an 86.2% stake in Uber ATG with the remaining by minority shareholders, the 13.8%, which was SoftBank and Toyota and things like that. So... Uber now has a 26% stake and then there is, you know, a remaining 14% which is really mostly those minority shareholders plus the employees but 1200 employees are not going over to Aurora. It's simply not happening. And to me the most interesting thing that I um heard from Chris Ermson, I was able to interview him. So I initially had the story obviously the scoop prior to their official announcement. They weren't exactly pleased with me, but Oh, such is life. Oh, come on. Come <laughs> no, they, on. Oh, no. they. I mean, Aurora was not happy with, with, with what. I mean, it's, let's be clear. My sourcing was not from Aurora. <laughs> really? But no, it was not. So, 
And I was able to get this from like multiple validated and verified from multiple sources, about five, five or six people, um, but not Aurora. So I think they wanted to have, you know, a surprising announcement and they wanted to keep it under wraps and the deal, the talks were still in progress. So when I did talk to Chris, which was when he did, they did the official announcement and they were giving interviews to reporters. um, To me, the most interesting thing was that that the next 60 days is going to be when they are going to quote unquote dispassionately look at everything, technology and people. So I think that to you know what that means, right? I mean, it means that there's not going to be 1200 people joining Aurora. No. <laughs> um, I, I did have a source tell me that I had, I had pushed this idea or, and asked a bunch of people about the culture and Aurora has spent all this time talking about culture and how important culture is and safety culture and all this. And yet Uber ATG has a very problematic culture, at least its reputation in the public sphere. And I had two sources now say that based on like the post merger integration, like looks at things that the problems they feel like were at the leadership level and not at the mid and lower tier engineering level. And that in those areas, there's some really valuable people there. So, and I saw that the guy who was running at Myhofer, who was there for many years, that he's he's out. He's out. Mm. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. I mean, a leadership. So also, he was CEO of ATG, and that could be difficult in any integration, even if it is a perfect cultural fit. Mm. But I think if you're trying to create new culture or preserve the one you have, you're not sticking with leadership at the place you're you're acquiring. Well, and it's interesting too, because I mean, Uber, if you, and, and I, you know, I, I don't know a ton of, of people at Uber, but it, there definitely seemed to me to have been a divide at, at ATG specifically um, between sort of the Kalanick era old school folks, um, some of whom, you know, up until very recently, you know, really like embodied that whole vibe in a lot of ways. Um, and, and then, you know, you know, newer sort of new Uber. Um, and, and my guess is that, you know, sort of the folks who I think of as, as new Uber uh, sort of mentality or culture um, are, are the ones who are going to be a better fit for, for Aurora, less, less swashbuckling, more safety conscious and, and, and culture conscious, I think generally. Right. But I'm curious what, what Alex has to say. Obviously, Alex, you know, he works at Ar- Argo. There's only so much he can say about a about a, a competitor. But you have, you have opinions. You have opinions. But, but you've got some thoughts. Let's, Let's be fair. I have friends who work at Uber. I have friends at Aurora. Uh, um, it's it's a big cactus to swallow. It's a lot of people. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not clear. Uh, you know, based on public statements, what. Uh, Aurora's strategy is going to be because recently they were talking a lot about trucking. Um, Uber's play for sure uh, is RoboTaxi. Um, it's hard to do a lot. It's hard to, a houseboat's tough. Mm-hmm. Houseboats are tough. Yeah. So I asked about that. And, you know, I think a lot of, I got a lot of commentary from folks who are like, let's look for the next pivot again back to RoboTaxis. Aurora insists that they are doing trucking as a product first. And that robo taxis is a, a something that will be in the future, but that they want to work on. And they have a partnership with Uber, right? Um, Uber's network. This is what Uber wanted all along, right? They wanted to leverage their network, their platform. Um, and now they don't have to spend the money 
Um, I mean, they spend a lot, uh, billions. That's what's interesting about this deal is I think I think all of us had kind of predicted at one point or another, or or if not predicted, then then argued that that Uber should get out of the developing uh, AV business. Like uh, we've talked, they should never have been in Yeah, makes no sense Uh, because at the end of the day, the if you look at the the global market for uh, ride hail robo taxi, let's imagine you deploy robo taxi, um, Uber, uh, any platform like Uber needs to be in. A lot of markets, they've got a scale. So unless your guys somehow have a scale, you know, are in all the in the critical markets, you're going to end up partnering with anyone you can, like anyone you can who can provide an AV stack for your key markets. And it's been, I mean, I don't know if anyone ever believed that ATG was capable of doing that. No one company can do it. Well, that goes back to the hubris, though, of some of the earlier days of Uber, and also. Quite honestly, within the industry, I think, you know, I can go back to stories um, I wrote in 2014 and 2015, and certainly in 2016, and find any founder who was pretty much saying it's happening, and we have to be on this immediately and, and, you know, framed it in terms of a race. It was a couple of years later, when everyone started changing their tune. So at that time, I think that Kalanick and others were like, all right, we want to be the first. If we're going to be first, we better do it now because it's happening. It's happening right now. And of course, it's not. When I, I think one of those, you know, Uber is one of those companies too, where, you know, it was more than just, they, they weren't always making decisions. When, when you're that kind of company with that kind of momentum and hype coming out of venture capital community, um, uh, heard, I guess, more than a community, but, uh, uh, you know, you start doing things for perception more than because they make sense for the reality of your business. Right. We certainly see that with, with Tesla and with other sort of meme, you know, companies, companies that are in that sort of, you know, the, the it girl kind of phase, um, you know, they'll do that. And, and I think the, um, the getting into AVs in general was, was one of those things for Uber, um, but I think like sort of the most extreme example is, is, uh, uh, is that Mercedes deal buying, you know, mm-hmm. non-binding agreement for a hundred thousand uh, S classes. Um, but I think what's really interesting here, I think the, the lesson that I don't know if enough people are going to see this, but for me, the real lesson of all this is not just that Uber shouldn't have gotten into this in the first place, but that um Really, you know, I don't think anyone predicted that Aurora would be the one that would sort of step in and 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 mm-hmm. get. And I think that it, this is a yet another, they, uh, you know, case where if you look at, um, you know, Uber and and Aurora had very like like almost polar opposite approaches in that Uber was very much about, uh, you know, appearance and then also rushing, like rushing. And if you look at the Hertzberg incident, what happened? So much of that came out of a culture of just pushing and rushing and, and and trying to race to market. And Aurora has been very patient and very quiet and very under the radar. And here they are, you know, sort of stepping in and scooping up the rest of ATG. I think that's a really important lesson for this space because you can't just apply sort of, you know, how things worked in smartphones to this space. It's different. And the slow but steady and quiet and heads down approach, I think, seems to be winning. Well, I, well I'm not so hold on a minute. I'm yeah, not, I was gonna. I was gonna. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm gonna I'm slightly disagree here. with that too. <laughs> because yeah, Alex, if you, if I mean, I've said my argument for consolidation happening this year 
this year is that there's a limited number of OEMs who are going to who want to invest in and, and own all of or a major piece of an AV stack developer. And Aurora, God bless them, great people over there, uh, has been out is relatively speaking out in the cold because they don't have an, a major OEM partner. And Living so, now. well, they well, it's not entirely clear what the Toyota deal is. We don't yet know. Um, and so it's actually pretty not, it wasn't that far fetched. They'd make this deal because, uh, the optics of it, of having a deal with, with Uber are very powerful. Um, even though it's not apparent that Uber is given them exclusivity of any kind. And I don't think they, I mean, if I wouldn't, because again, if you're Uber, you need to be in as many places as possible and you're going to end up making whatever deals you've got to make, uh, to get there. So, but that's just speculation well i mean okay so you do make a good point that we don't know exactly what the toyota's role is going to be they've made other investments you know the the actual motor corporation has invested in may mobility for example they've they've made other investments and they're they're deeply invested in basically the application of ai in into automated vehicle technology and this idea of these like the woven city and all this other stuff that's happening so they've got a lot going on and we're not sure how how closely they're going to work with Aurora um, and what that's going to look like. My point would be this. I'm, I would hope that Aurora would learn the lessons of Uber and now they are potentially the it girl and to not then get a big ego as a company and start making bold claims that they should stick with what they were doing in the past. Um. And not worry so much about press conferences and media coverage, and um, and and actually prove that they can integrate. Uh, you know, let's look at Aptiv and Newtonomy. When Aptiv bought Newtonomy, had just spun out of Delphi, it was a five hundred million dollar acquisition. They had just bought Automatica, and it took years to integrate the technology and to come up. I mean, they were working the whole time now culminating into this uh, joint venture with Hyundai. And it is now called Motional, which Carl Yonyama, one of the co-founders of Newtonomy is heading. That took years to do. And um, I don't know if Aurora is going to have to show extreme patience and due diligence to be able to integrate that the tech and the people without changing its culture. And if anything, in hopes of accelerating its, you know, its, uh, its stack and also the commercial deployment. Uh, if I may just throw uh, you know, an old adage in, you can, you can cook a cactus, but it'll never be steak. Actually, go on. <laughs> go on Ed. Someone, oh, from right. the, uh, someone from the Southwest. I disagree, yeah. but go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Go well, ahead. Ed. No, I mean, I, I was gonna say, I, I actually am not like, I, I think if anybody can, um, can do that, can, first of all, Aurora is, Aurora is kind of famous for two things inside the AV space, as far as I'm concerned. One is, um, is sort of the culture. It is, they vary. And we had a great episode years ago, two years ago now, I think it was two years ago now, um, where we, when we visited Pittsburgh, um, and, uh, and spoke to some of the engineers. And I think if you listen to that episode, it's called on Aurora Island. I like those um, guys. Yeah. And, and I think if you say. hear, if you, you can really get a sense of, of the company's culture in, in that conversation and, and it reflects 
you know, sort of all my interactions with that company. So I think, I think, you know, culture, and then the other is recruiting. They're famous for, for being good at recruiting. In fact, one of the best uh, arguments I heard was that, you know, oh, if, if, if they really wanted, uh, uh, you know, the talent that Uber had, uh, they would have just gone out and, and hired them. Well, actually um, they did. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> they, they've hired oh, everyone. Uber. Everyone hired a lot of people. A lot of good people from Uber, uh, you know, left in recent months and went the, to a few different companies. Yeah. But I can't imagine which ones they would be. The, the challenge though. So like, I don't think it's I, I, that, I mean, it's going to be a challenge, but I think if anyone's up to it, it is Aurora because of, of who they are and how they've been sort of built and oriented and, and, and what they believe in. But um, the challenge is going to be financial. I think that's where it's going to be tricky. And it's, you know, you, going from 600 to even if even if they only take 50% of ATG employees, that's, you know, doubling in size. I, that dramatically changes um, your entire financial structure, your burn rate, um, you know, and, 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 you know, having enough money, you know, a lot of what fuels the hype uh, and, and all that kind of self-destructive, you know, rushing and, and, and all the kind of a lot of the bad things is the need to continually raise money. Right. And um, so I think that's the risk is that the financial pressure, you know, could 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 potentially yeah. at least put our office. Speaking game. of hype and the need to constantly raise money, perhaps we should move on to another topic. Sure. So uh, one thing I wanted to just throw out there is that if if 2020 were to have a representative, I think Uber would be a perfect one because they sold off literally every single moonshot. Um and also other businesses. And it in part because of this drive towards profitability, burn rate, which we just talked about, and COVID. And so I just want to briefly you, you know, talk about Uber once more and then we'll go off into other things, which is just let's think about this year. Last year at this time, they were taking this all of the above approach. Freight, autonomous vehicles, delivery, ride hailing, transit. And micromobility. And now what do they have? And, and let's not forget the air taxi business, uh, Elevate. Elevate. And now today they have ride hailing. They've doubled down on delivery by buying Postmates. And they have, uh, they're still doing some transit stuff. Um, but they have offloaded Jump to Lime in another complex deal in which they're investing in Lime and holding a stake in Lime, but giving away Jump. 400 people lost their jobs. They sold a $500 million stake in Uber Freight. They still are a majority shareholder, but they have essentially sold off part of that business. They have sold off Elevate and they have sold off ATG. You don't need to be Nostradamus to know that this, the former CEO of Expedia, Dara, is going to try to make Uber like Expedia. How many airlines or plane manufacturers does Expedia own? None. And so it makes no sense for Uber to have had all these divisions. He should have spun them out. But I have to add, that there's one thing that makes me crazy is, is the moonshot analogy because the, the going to the moon is a terrible analogy for building any of these businesses because going to the moon was incredibly expensive. Very few people went there. We stopped going for a long time. Uh, the, going to the moon itself did not become a business. Uh, the best analogy for any of these things is bridges because you, when you build a bridge, people have to use it every day and you've got to maintain it and then you're going to build more bridges based on what you learned. And moonshot and when, if I hear a pitch where there's a moonshots mentioned, I'm like, this guy doesn't know how to sell the story because it's a horrible analogy. I'm done. Well, I would say that the, I, the goal is to take what is a moonshot idea and turn it into a bridge, right? And Uber wasn't able to do that. They took what were big, long bets 
you know, you don't take a big long bet on what is a a known industry and technology, which is building a bridge. We've been building bridges for generations, so it's not new. What you want to do is take something hard, uh, not common, and turn it into something common like a bridge. And Uber was unable to do that. And so they sold them off. Well, so and then again, I, there's also though a question of was this really a pragmatic investment and something they thought was really you not. know going to happen, or was it really about sort of building you know perceptions and, and cashing in on this sort of hype fueling the yeah, well you know the winner in all this is Joby Aviation, <laughs> which is a portfolio company of our friend Riley, uh, and who got to snag whatever Uber Elevate had um, for a song. Greetings, Atonicat Nation. Pardon the interruption. We know you're all anxious to hear the rest of the show, but we need a minute of your time. Actually, Kirsten, we need a few minutes. Okay, fine. Well, let's be clear. We don't need your time as much as your information. You might have heard that we have created a survey. Hold up. Let's provide some context here. What started as a fun side project has turned into something much bigger than we ever expected. And so it's time for us to grow up just a little. And to do that, we need to better understand our audience. We created a survey to do just that. The data fields are mostly optional, but the more you provide, the more you help. Importantly, we will never share your personal information with anyone. Filling out this survey is the most effective way to help us make this podcast everything it can be. So please take a few minutes to visit atonicast.com slash survey and help us understand who you are and how we can improve. Thanks. And if you look at Uber's core business too, you see another big trend in 2020, which is that the ride hailing part of the business is in, in trouble. And, and some of that may be, you know, just COVID, but it seems like there's maybe some secular sort of growth running out in that area as well. Um, and uh, and and where where they're relying on um, their you know where, where they're finding growth is in delivery, and I think that's something that we're seeing in across the the AV space, where the sort of frankly over focus on on personal mobility and robo taxis is giving way to much 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 more focus on a really wide variety of sort of logistics, sort of all fits under logistics, whether it's last mile delivery, whether it's sort of some, the middle mile thing, whether it's, you know, groceries or food uh, or, or even, you know, long haul trucking. Um, those seem to be the areas uh, that over this year, sort of it was already before COVID, but then particularly the last mile piece um, has really accelerated with with COVID. Um, yeah, that's like the perfect segue now to talk about that. And just to close the loop on Uber, Yes, delivery is their fastest growing, but it's they're also losing money in delivery and they are making money in ride hailing, but they are they really took a hit in the early COVID. So it's a, a tale of two Ubers. It, it, Ubers, yes. And so we'll see what happens with the Postmates integration and also by the way what happens with Postmates work on delivery bots. Um we've had um actually um Ollie from Postmates on in in talking about their delivery bot. So it'll be really curious to see what happens with that program. But you're right, Ed, delivery and logistics fit definitely was like the 2020 story, I think, for a couple of reasons. One, AV companies were like, we can't, re- we're having problems st- uh, testing with people. Uh, I know, let's start delivering things. Um, and we saw a lot of that. And then we had companies like Neuro, which were meant and built just to deliver packages, see sort of a 
a um, greater attention and making some inroads. And then we saw companies pushing more towards trucking and logistics and just a ton of digital freight platforms like Uber Freight, Convoy and others raising just a shit ton of money um, on this whole idea of logistics as well. So delivery became huge. And I think in part, quite honestly, because everyone who experienced COVID, which is everyone, um, learned a little bit more about the supply chain when they went to their stores and couldn't get some stuff that they wanted. And all of a sudden, you know, we understood what is a cornerstone of the economy is freight and delivering packages and last mile delivery. And what, what does that mean? And so that gets to another um, big acquisition, I guess this year, which is Amazon's acquisition of Zooks. Um, that's, I mean, and, 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 in a 4D, ch- I mean, just playing 4D chess here, they acquired Zooks, but they also own a piece of Aurora who is supposed to be in the trucking business. Um, and they uh, invested in Rivian, which is building them 100,000 um, delivery vehicles. Vans. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> the 4D chess is getting almost 5D. I, I'm, um, I hate, I hate to throw this brand in here because we want to talk about, I guess, Amazon and Zooks, but Given how important delivery is, isn't it amazing that we've never heard a thing from Tesla about a delivery vehicle? Well, you know, once they unlock all those robo taxis, their big robo fleet, then they'll be able to ter- leverage all of that. You can buy a car, you can buy 10 cars, and then use that to deliver packages, Alex. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. I know no one wants to talk about Tesla, so we won't. Um, no, no, curious. no. I mean, what, 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 what do you think? I mean, I, I don't know why they would ever get into an operations business like that. If you go back in time to 2015, you're Travis Kalanick. We know that he met with Google. Um, and, uh, I, you know, if you're Travis Kalanick at that time and you had any be- reasonable belief that Tesla would ever deliver full autonomy, you would have called Tesla too. But as we know from the Ludacris book, Elon Musk did not actually have a plan to build fully, uh, fully autonomous vehicles at that time. Right, Ed? Yeah. Yes. You step back um, and look at the big picture. Uh, but anyway, yeah. back to Zooks. Did you two see the the leaked picture of the Zook vehicle? Yeah, I did. What did you think? It sort of reminded me of a cross between the main mobility shuttle, the a smaller version of the Cruise Origin, and like the Navia vehicle. But it's, it has the biodirectional tires, right? So like, I don't know. I, I don't know what is it my imagination. I know everyone says, why do these things, things all look like toasters, but in the toaster wars, because you could, there are things you can do with a toaster. Mm-hmm. Is it, am I crazy or did Cruz take some influence from a leaked image of this thing from years ago? Because the origin seems to look more like this than any other toaster vehicle. Mm. Mm. I, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, when I talked to Jesse Levinson of Zooks right after um, the origin was revealed, um, he was, you know, he said, we're, we're really excited about this because we think it validates our approach. Um, I, no, look, it's a box on wheels, which also actually brings it to another big 2020 trend that's a little bit outside of our main area of focus, which is that the only thing that had a good 2020, consistently good 2020 was Vans. Uh, 2020 was sort of in a lot in certain ways the year of the van and i think that this box on wheels you know uh sort of paradigm for avs you know confirms and and like look a box on wheels is 
as space efficient as you get. And if you're talking about operating in a, a dense urban area, um, you know, aerodynamics are not as important. And uh, this kind of form factor just it just makes sense. If you're going to build a toaster, though, the Zooks one, I feel, is best of breed. If you got to build a toaster, it's goofy. It's funny. And it reminds me of some of the sketches. Have, uh, you ever read Jason Torchinsky on Jalopnik? Mm-hmm. Is yeah. a one, uh, I, I just reread his book, Robot Take the Wheel, which is a wonderful book. And at least the Zooks thing's got some character. And I, and I admire that. Like you could see there are humans involved in that. And mm-hmm. I like that. Uh, well, what I'm the big test will be so there are reveals coming up, and we'll we'll get to talk about that. Maybe we should have Jesse back on the show to talk about um, what has happened with the company um, in 2020 and looking ahead if Amazon will let him, and we'll I see about so. that. But I think the real test is going to be what the user interface is like and what the accessibility is going to be like because Cruise Origin didn't hit the mark on that piece um i mean it had the self-opening doors which is kind of cool ed and i both sat in it and it was like uh very uh honda influence in there and that was cool doesn't it kind of look like it when you have a full-size car and like mattel decides to take the little toy version of it and they just wash away all the fun little details i I felt (laughs) like i was i felt like i was on you know what it reminded me of, of if you've ever been and i know you have been on any high-speed train in like Europe, kind of like Never. the seating. No, oh, I'm sure you have. Yeah, like, that's you usually drive, right? Oh no, I love but, I love trains. But it reminded me of that. It was just like very simple. It was meant for like high use, you know, as as few things that could break as possible. Um, and that's all fine. But I didn't really get a sense that it was like built for people who might have trouble like standing up. Like buses, don't forget, like they can the bus driver can lower the entry point so that if you have, if you're older, for example, or you have a bike or whatever, you can step up more easily. Um, I, I didn't get, I, you know, I haven't seen that. I ha- I, I wasn't there. It wasn't explained to me how a blind person might be able to use this or someone in a wheelchair. And so I'm looking for Zooks to show those types of, that type of thoughtfulness and design understanding that, okay, it might not be able to be accessible to every single person. Um, Maybe they'll have modified versions of the vehicles, but at least some thinking in that direction. Now I'm curious if, if showing vehicles and Uber getting rid of all these divisions is the news that we're talking about. Does that mean we have finally hit the bottom of the trough of disillusionment? I mean, I think Are we so. rock bottom now. Okay, we're we're coming out of it, right? I I think we're in the the very early stages of the of the slope of enlightenment. I mean, I think there's a lot of a lot of perceptions and and attitudes are still sort of all over the place on the you know if you map them out onto the the hype cycle. Um, but I think I think you know I think a number of things are are sort of indicating this. One is uh, sort of the the more and more companies going driverless that shows you know technical maturity is is what well, progress is continuing to be made and and maturity is is coming closer where however you want to define maturity um and uh and uh, you know not all driverless is necessarily equal blah 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 caveats um but uh yeah i mean and and i think also looking at lots of different business models too um and i think also um, and, and maybe we'll save this discussion for sort of our forward-looking 2021 preview episode. But um, you know, I think that that moving towards um, a more 
formalized regulatory system rather than sort of the ad hoc, you know, exemption-based approach that we've had, that's also a sign of, of increasing maturity in my, in my eyes. Even if the industry doesn't necessarily, you know, love the fact that, that that's the direction it's going. But if you ask any reasonable person, they'll say, you know, a little bit of regulation done right is fine. It's a good thing. Um, so it's just a hard business. And again, we should, we should definitely talk about this because, you know, it's been ANPRM's put out advance notice for uh, a proposed, proposed rulemaking. Um, and, and there's a, a bunch of really important, really interesting stuff there, but um, that's more forward looking. Um, and we should probably keep this to, uh, to the last year. 2020, uh, 2020. Yeah. Well, in 2020, we, uh, also went through an election year and I do think it's, you know, worth noting at least, um, that, um, as you, as you mentioned on the federal level, there were some, some inroads, I suppose, or it's unclear what that will mean for 2021 though. Um, I think that in this administration, the Trump administration, what I've heard from AV companies is um, that it's been fairly friendly to AVs on one hand because it's uh, not placed any regulations on on industry, but the level of uncertainty is still there, right? Because there's not a clear path forward necessarily, or at least put in place at this moment. Well, and I think I think that you know Tesla, um, which has had a very interesting 2020 in a lot of different ways, and, and we need to. We've already spent a lot of time on this show talking about the the sort of EV meme stonk uh, spac phenomenon, um, yeah. but that is a huge thing in in this area that we that we pay so much attention to. But but just on the autonomy side, um, Tesla's full self driving beta test really did expose you know the 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 approach that had been sort of the regulatory approach, quote unquote, like that is that had been followed thus far was very much based on, you know, um, a, sort of essentially relying on, you know, the reputational risk of a crash, right? And, and people saw that with with ATG and, and, and Elaine Hertzberg. One fatal crash, arguably, I mean, there were other factors as well, but you could argue that was the most important factor p- potentially in Uber's decision uh, to walk away from that whole that whole investment, um, and uh, or at least to hand it over, um, you know, Tesla bringing out full self driving uh, beta testing the way it did, it, you know, the 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 informal norms based approach to keeping road testing safe had been working quite well until Tesla came around uh, came along with this approach that just doesn't work with any of the both at the federal and at the state level. Like in California, like the regulatory structures that are in place, um, and and you know they 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 weren't prepared for someone to so radically take like such a different approach and just also completely ignore the sort of reputational risk issue, right? Which which Tesla kind of tends to do a lot, um, and so and so I think it did it did put the the rest of the industry in a tough situation where they feel like the unregulated norms based approach was working quite well. Uh, and 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 if Tesla didn't exist, it would still be working quite well. But now, all of a sudden, you know, it's it's always the outliers that are the ones that 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 require you know that that require sort of changes and and frankly, you know, ramp ups in 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 regular in regulation. And so I think they realize that you know when someone decides to just ignore the the consensus, um, yeah, then then all of a sudden, you know, you can't just sort of keep going um, with a with a, a really voluntary system. 
But Alex, well, on that no, on that note, <laughs> well, and then and shifting at the SPAC thing too. I mean, Tesla is, is it's another example of sort of the traditional logic of you know how we evaluate you know value co- uh, companies um, and sort of people's relationship with the market and its ability to to sort of predict the future. Um, the, the you know Tesla's massive massive run up and then also the fact that it's inspired all of these other companies to to come in and and go public way before they have any kind of business model. I mean this is another case of um you know the way things worked just wasn't prepared for what Tesla was willing to do. Well, you know my thoughts on Tesla. Um we could have a whole show about the 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 Tesla 2020 um volatile yes confusing yes uh dramatic yes there's a lot of adjectives i could throw in there i i would say if i may the greatest takeaway of 2010 around tesla it was the reddit thread that ed pointed out where the tesla owners themselves were arguing over what full self-driving uh is because if you ask anyone but tesla anyone you know waymo argo uh aurora i mean they're very clear what they're building. And it's really important that as we come out of the trough disillusionment, that customers know what they're buying. Um, and that is maybe not a sexy takeaway, but that's a good outcome of 2020. I will just add this one caveat or a little nugget too about uh, Tesla full self-driving. I had um, I was driving back from Phoenix on Monday in a Tesla, I did not, I, I just had, um, the adaptive cruise and the auto steer on. And you know what? It's always fun and exciting and gets the pulse moving a little bit quickly when the vehicle misreads a trailer in the lane next to you and slams on the brakes when you're going about 75 miles on the freeway, that still happens. And it happened to me. So Will I be testing full self-driving on city streets? No. I mean, I will actually, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it early in the morning. I'll do it somewhat like how Cruz did their tests, um, their drive first driverless test, which is like at night on an empty street in, um, in San Francisco. Um, I'll, go, I'll do it then. But, you know, someone easily, if they had been tailgating me, would have hit me from behind. Um, in that scenario. And that wasn't the quote unquote FSD. It was just their, it was their auto steer and their adaptive cruise control combined. And it misread like this semi truck with a, you know, an empty trailer behind it um, and thought it was in my lane and fully slammed on the brakes. This is the so, phantom braking, which is essentially a, a false mm-hmm. positive. Correct. So, Unless you can really, and now that had, I've driven this car a lot. It hasn't done that in a really, it hasn't done that in very, very long time, like a year since I've had it. But that was a case where had it been heavy traffic behind me, I, you know, would have certainly gotten hit um, because it was very sudden. So until those things can be resolved, it just shows that, you know, any level of automated vehicle driving, whether it's like an ADAS, you know, where there's some level of automation, but the driver is still in the loop all the way to level four, those little things 
can completely change um, the safety of it in a blink of an eye and, you know, just shows how far we have to go, I think. Well, and the other thing is, I, I will say, I mean, there's this, there's a lot of expectation about really, really rapid progress uh, uh, among people who are, you know, fans who are watching the full self-driving thing. This very clearly, they expect really dramatic improvements. But, but the phantom braking thing is really interesting because, you know, in, with a lot of things, uh, especially if your if your sensors are, you know, not as uh, capable and precise as they as they absolutely possibly could be. I mean, I think you know, with the radar in particular in this issue, uh, you know, Tesla it's a, it's an ADAS grade radar, right? Um, and Tesla has my understanding is that Tesla has done a lot with that, um, like going beyond just sort of you know what you get from the supplier, um, uh, you know, in terms of in terms of signal processing things, all kinds. Of, so I think they've gotten they've they've gotten more out of it than than probably most people using the same unit. But you know, we've had, we've seen very clearly, sort of over time, both a lot of false negatives, which is when you see um, someone with a Tesla on autopilot driving directly into a truck, an ambulance. Um, some other large stationary object, and we have numerous, you know, uh, uh, famous or infamous, you know, fatal crashes where this has happened. A bunch of non-fatal crashes, um, and then also false positives, uh, which is, you know, when the car thinks something's there, uh, but but it isn't, um, and and that's the phantom braking issue, which you can go to the forums and read all kinds of things about. And so I think that that sort of shows you that you know when you are trying to push a system to the edge of its capabilities. Uh, getting that balance between false positives and false negatives um, is is really hard, particularly with radar. I think um, is my understanding, and again, this is one of the reasons why you know lidar is a good sort of complement as a uh, deterministic ranging uh, uh, sensor. Um, so, okay, so we're we're running out of time. That that we covered a lot of uh, of the big trends in in twenty twenty here, but we're not done with sort of our usual and and. If you attended last year's um, um, Atonicast party, as we sort of alluded to earlier at, at CES, um, we really uh, uh, wanted to use that opportunity to uh, get a couple of really big names in the space to sort of reflect on the year that was and, and the year ahead. Um, and so we'll be doing that again. And then we will be doing sort of a, a kind of another you know, live event that's going to be hopefully in some tiny little way, a little bit like some of the conversations we had at our party as well. Um, and we will be revisiting um, in, in more detail. In fact, I have to go back and listen to our 2020 prediction episode. I know that there were some things that were right. Uh, I know there were some things that were definitely wrong. I'm going to have to go back and, and remind myself, though, of, uh, of all that. Are you guys, are you guys excited or nervous about revisiting your 2020 predictions? You feel good about them? Do you, do you remember? I know Alex feels great about it. Yeah, this year I was on my A game. All right. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to go back. I, I quite honestly can't recall. I think I agreed with some of what Alex um, had predicted and disagreed with some. So I'm, I'm going to see where I felt fall on it. But yes, yeah, so we are going to try and a little bit relive or recreate um, what we did in 2020, but obviously not in a packed hotel room in Las Vegas with hundreds of people that would be uh, not appropriate in or... the COVID era. Like our CES party would be a freaking nightmare. We always have way too many people and way too tight every year. Yeah. And in, in, even as the space has grown, it's always been one of those things where you like, can't even hardly move in the room. It's so packed with people. 
Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's the, the, the things that nightmares are made of in the COVID era. So. Correct. So instead, we're going to take it to the podcast waves and we're going to bring back some people who are at the party um, who had some very big years uh, or b- very big year, very big 2020 um, in advance of what we're going to do as this live event. So stay tuned for that. And until next time. Uh, thanks for listening to another episode of the Atonicast. 